in week eight of the series on Luke that we're calling Absolute. Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes the Gospel of Luke, and he writes Acts. And he says, I'm writing this book so that you can be sure of the things that you've been taught. So we've called the series Absolute because it's an opportunity for us to be absolute about what we believe. We're in this part of Luke where we begin to see Jesus' public ministry. He's, he's setting up shop in this place, Capernaum, and he's, he's doing ministry. And as we read the passage that, that we have for today, you're going to see the, these miraculous things take place, what we would call miracles, right? And, and as we read the passage, we, we have to ask ourselves the question, so what does this passage mean for us today? How does this passage we're reading give understanding to how we shape, how the shape of our church? This is an incredibly important passage for us because as we unpack it, as we think about it, as you read it, as you make application from it, it really is what informs us about what we believe about God. Is God, it answers the question, who is God? What is God up to? Is God disengaged? Or is God engaged? Is God active or is God passive? Is he a spectator or is he a participant? I visualize in my mind being a little kid and I had the the little wooden tops. Maybe you had one of these and you'd wind the string around it and you'd put the string on and you'd fling it as hard as you could and it would spin that top. And you would watch the top spin and sometimes I think that's how we see God. That he put everything into motion but then he's just watching it take place. This passage gives shape to whether or not that is or is not the way God moves. These are important questions for us to wrestle with. So grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 31 to the end of the chapter. I want to remind you kind of a few of the things that we've seen as we've studied the first four chapters of Luke. We've seen Jesus' birth, of course. We've seen Jesus going to the river and being baptized. We saw that when Jesus came out of the water that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, that he went with the Spirit, full of the Spirit, and and led by the Spirit. He went into the wilderness, but was part of his growth. We learned that Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature, that we need to grow in wisdom and stature. And we saw Jesus start his public ministry in Nazareth. And if you were here last week, had a great sermon preached by Norfolk, and he talked about this, this moment when Jesus shares his mission statement using Isaiah 61. Jesus' mission is to proclaim the good news, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The rest of the Gospel of Luke is a description of this actually taking place. It's a description of the fulfillment of the prophecy. It's a description of Jesus living out the very mission that he has. So even as you listen to me read, even as you read ahead and the weeks ahead, listen for those moments where you hear about the captives being set free, the proclamation of the day of the Lord. So verse 31, it says, and he, talking about Jesus, went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his words possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, ha, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, come out of him. 
And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went to every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill, had a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all of those who had any who were weak or sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid hands on them and he healed them, every one of them, and healed them. Verse 41, and demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues in Judea. I have wrestled with this sermon as much as any sermon um, I think I've ever preached here at Grace. I've been asking the Lord, what do you have for us as a church through this passage? Lord, what is it that you want us to hold on to? How can this passage give shape to who we are at Grace Community Church? So before I go any further, I just want to ask you to bow your heads and to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are here standing, sitting in your church. We are in your holy presence. May your word be our rule. May your spirit be our teacher. May your greater glory be our supreme concern. Lord, I pray that we would leave this place different than we came because we have interacted with the living God. I ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So one of the things I didn't talk about in the summaries of of events that came out of when Norvlet was preaching last week, if you remember, Jesus went and he tells this prophecy and he says, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your presence. And then he begins to have a dialogue with the people in Nazareth and, and it kind of escalates. And in the end, the people of Nazareth decide that they want to kill Jesus. Not a great way to start ministry. I'm going to preach my first sermon and then the people are going to try to kill me, right? But Jesus goes and he preaches this message and it says that they took him out to a high hill. And I just wanted to show you a picture of this hill. This is the actual place where they would have taken Jesus. If you could have a broader picture on this side of that hill is where Nazareth sat. The gate would have been just off to about where the R of a relative is, would have been the old city gate. So it's pretty likely they took him outside of the city gates, right to this cliff. You can see little people standing. Well, they're big people, but you can see people standing up there. That's where they would have taken Jesus. But the passage says that it wasn't Jesus' time and that he just walked through their midst, that he went without harm. And here's the point I want to make. The gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus is a polarizing message. That if we are true to the message of Christ, we will run into opposition. People will uh, be offended by the gospel. 
And we need to know that and we need to see that. Now, I just want to be clear. Sometimes people are offended by how we present the gospel. Sometimes they're offended by our lack of love and we use the gospel as a cup. So sometimes we offend people because we're just not very kind or considerate. But when you present the gospel, you will run into resistance. I say all this because we see in this, in this part of the gospel of Luke, we see resistance by people. But now we're going to see resistance from the spiritual realm as well. Look at verse 31. It says, he went down to Capernaum, city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. He went down because he went down in elevation. He sets up his shop, if you will. Capernaum becomes his home base for ministry, an important city in in Jesus' ministry. But that's where he begins to do the good work that God had called him to do. And as Norflet pointed out last week, he gathers in the synagogue. He goes to the church he practices one of our six essentials gathering right so he goes to the church and and one of the things I want you to see is that that Jesus uses the established church that really his agenda was to use the church but to help them to reshape their religious structures and I think that's still his agenda That he will use his church, but he wants to move in such a way in our midst to break down anything that gets in the way of a clear presentation of the gospel. He is going to reshape our religious structures that get in the way of the gospel. But God, make no mistake, God is going to, Jesus is going to use his church. Verse 32 says that the people were astonished at his teaching for his words possessed authority. They don't don't know why. They couldn't tell really what was going on. But what they knew is that something was going on inside of them. As they listened to the message, there was a authority that came through what Jesus was preaching. And they recognized the authority. But then something really unexpected happened. Look at verse 33. It says, in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So in the ESV it says that he said, ha. If you go back to that in the Greek, it's, it's a word that's just an expletive. I tried to think of like what would be a word that we would use. Maybe the word is yikes. Right, but if in some of your translations, if you have something different than ESV, you might see O, you might see A-H, ah. It's an expletive of surprise, but of, of being intense. And, and I'm pretty sure it was more like, ah! What do you have to do with us? He wasn't being polite. I'm sure it was very disruptive. Look, it's a demon. He's not really worried about being polite. Something stirred in that moment, and he, he brought it out, and, and, and he, he, he shouts out. Here's what I want you to hear. The very presence of Jesus puts demons on notice. The very presence of Jesus in the room puts the demons on notice. And they are afraid. If you read that, if you see it in the original language, there is fear in this demon's voice. And he is screaming out, are you here to destroy me? He is afraid because Jesus is the one that has the power and he knows it. The interesting thing is Luke doesn't really tell us what Jesus is preaching. He gives hints to it near the end when he talks about Jesus having to go to all the synagogues and preach. So he doesn't really tell us. But if we cross-reference this story with the story in Matthew, we actually get the title of the sermon. Right? So it says in Matthew that Jesus went to Capernaum, that he began to preach, and he preached, repent. Remember what repent means? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. It means to change your mind, to turn your heart back to God. So Jesus says, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
what does that mean? There are tons of books written about the kingdom of heaven, the the kingdom of God. What does it mean? I could teach a whole series and I probably should at some point pick a, a few weeks where we talk about the kingdom of God and what it means. But here's what it doesn't mean. The kingdom of heaven is not a place. It's not like Camelot or Narnia. It's not some other place that's just, okay, now this, this place has moved closer to us. It's not about a place. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's talking about his reign, his rule, his lordship. This church is his kingdom. This city is his kingdom. This country is his kingdom. India is his kingdom. Malaga, Spain is his kingdom. Morocco is his kingdom. The heavens and the earth is his kingdom. It's not a specific place. It's an establishment of a new cosmic order. His kingdom is here on earth and it's in heaven. Jesus is saying, look, I am here to set things right. I am here to change your accessibility to my power in your life. I have come to make the kingdom of heaven, which existed all the way along. This isn't a new thing. It's just more accessible now. It's closer to us. The kingdom of God is at hand means that you can reach it. It's within arm's length. It's accessible to you. So he's teaching in this synagogue, and chances are no one knew what he was talking about. His ministry is just getting started, and he's going to show them over the course of the next few years what does it mean that the kingdom of God. So they knew it was with authority, but they had no idea what it means. But I can tell you, the demon knew. The demon knew exactly what Jesus said. He knew the gig was up. He knew that Jesus was the one that had the power and the authority to destroy him. And with just a word... Jesus sets the man free. The very thing that Jesus said he came to do. So in the ESV, it says that there was a man who had a spirit. If you have an NIV, I think the NIV says was possessed by a spirit. I know some of the other translations, that's the same word, had and possessed. But the word is a legal term of ownership. The man was owned by a demon. He was enslaved By an evil spirit, what did Jesus say he came to do? I came to set the captives free. This man was oppressed, he was enslaved. And with just a word, Jesus sets him free. This is not a normal day in the synagogue. No one came to church expecting to see what they're seeing. They see a proclamation of the coming kingdom. They see physical evidence of change in the cosmic order. It's a message that's more than just words. It's a display of power. And this display of power could not be missed. If you look at verse 38, the story continues. It says that Jesus arose and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. When you visit Jerusalem, there's probably 100 yards between this first century synagogue and what they believe to be Simon's house. Very close to each other. But Jesus goes there. This is Simon who becomes Peter, right? So and it says, now Simon's mother-in-law was ill, had a high fever. They appealed to him on her behalf. He stood over her, rebuked the fever. It left her. Immediately she rose and began to make sandwiches. Just mean if you're paying any attention, if you're reading along or not. So right from the start, right out of the chute, Jesus' ministry is a proclamation of the kingdom of God and a display 
of the kingdom of God being at hand. He's showing them what it means that the kingdom of God is accessible. He's showing them with word and deed. This is a big part of Luke. If you read through Luke, this word and deed, word and deed, words and action going together. It's the same as true for us. Our lives ought to be marked by words and by deeds. So there's this picture of the kingdom of God going forth. It says that Jesus rebuked the fever and it left her. Demons flee, sickness flee. At the sound of his voice, she's healed. Now, all this is happening on the Sabbath. There are five Sabbath healings in the Gospel of Luke, and those become a big deal for the Pharisees, and we'll get to that when we get to that. But, but just know this is two of the five things that happen on the Sabbath. But then it becomes evening. So remember, the Sabbath is from sunset to sunset. So now it's no longer Sabbath. And, and now you can travel because the law was you could only go a little bit away. And, and you weren't even supposed to do healings on the Sabbath. But news has gotten out. It actually says in here that word got out to the surrounding region. Now it's the sun sets and everybody's coming. And they're bringing their, their friends. It says in verse 40 that he laid hands on every one of them and healed them and demons came out of many crying you are the son of God but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ I just want to get this in your mind a little bit Capernaum at the first century was probably about 1500 people average Sunday of grace is about 1500 people so it's not that big and you got to think about like what was going on everyone in Capernaum would have known what was going on you would not have been able to live in that region and not know what was going on. It was a big deal. We're not talking about millions of people. We're talking about thousands of people, and that's not much. And so maybe this, this crowd, maybe it doubles when the people from the outside region. But what I want you to see is that, that everyone is being touched by this movement of God, the power of God, the kingdom of God being displayed. When I think about this story, I picture them watching this. And, and for some reason this week, the picture I had is like of watching the fireworks, and what do we do when we watch the fireworks? We go, ooh. Ah, uh, that's good. You got it. You did it before I did. Ah, uh, wow. Look, people were amazed. You're watching healings. You're watching demons. You're watching demons being cast out. I mean, this would have been an amazing display of power. Jesus spoke the word and he did the word. It's an amazing picture. I just want you to hold that in your mind. It's a beautiful picture when we engage our imagination. And that's all good. It's a great story. Isn't it exciting? Isn't it fun to think about first century Jesus, Capernaum, thousands of people ooing and eyeing? And we could leave it there, but the question is what does it have to do with us? The question really is what does the passage mean for us today? How does the passage give understanding and shape to how we are supposed to do church? Who is God? What is God up to? And I think as I answer the first question, the other two questions will come into focus. Is what's going on in this story unique to that day? Are demons still at work? Does God still heal people? Is the kingdom of God still at hand? Is it still accessible? Is it still at arm's reach? In order to answer the question, we have to step back. We have to see the bigger picture. This is the word of God. This is a narrative, a story. 
It's a story about good and evil. It's a story about two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of hell. And right out of the chute, if you read the story, you're going to see both of those kingdoms at work. You're going to see good and you are going to see evil. Both of these exist. This is an epic tale of a battle between good and evil. And here's why it's important for us to grasp that, because the battle is still raging. There is still a battle between good and evil, and we do not take this serious enough as people of God. And what we do is we play with evil. We flirt with evil. We allow ourselves to do things that we know we shouldn't do. And when we do, we open ourselves up for a kingdom of evil to move into our life. And we create devastation in our lives. We create devastation in our family's life. We bring all kinds of harm when we don't think about the fact that there is a battle between good and evil going on. It was going on then and it's going on now. When you read the New Testament, you read the Gospels, you read Acts, you read all the letters, there is warfare language from start to finish. Why are you supposed to put on the armor of God if you are not in a battle? You're supposed to dress for battle. You're supposed to be ready for battle. Right? The scriptures say, don't give Satan a stronghold. That's warfare language, a stronghold. It could be a beachhead. It's that place where the enemy is going to launch his attack against you. Don't give him any place to attack you. Be on guard. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling, prowling around, and he wants to destroy you. We got to have this in mind. And at the same time, I got good news for you. When Jesus enters the room, the demons quake with fear you have everything you need for the battle but you better believe there's a battle or you are going to make some serious mistakes what about demons what about healings there are some who teach that this is a new era That those things we see in the New Testament, they were necessary to affirm the work of Jesus. They were necessary in the days of the apostles to to solidify the church, to make the church give it some credence, help people to recognize it was a way of affirming what the church was doing. That it was important then, but it's not important now. They would say, now we have the revealed word of God, and we no longer need miracles. There are those who teach that. It's the word, the word, and nothing but the word. But there's another extreme. There is another group of people who, who believe that, that, it, that it's all about this, this movement of God that's all experiential, that, that the word of God is good, but we need a fresh revelation from God. We need a, a new word from God. And, and we get fired up about the, this, this movement. We get fired up about our emotions. We get fired up about all the things. And then what happens is God gives these gifts, and then we start to say, if you don't have these gifts, then you're not really spiritual. If you can't do the trick, then, man, you don't even know who God is. Is and, and it gets all quirky and it gets all weird. And, and here's the deal the scriptures tell us that we are prone to worship the created and not the creator. And so if we worship the word of God, then we miss the point. The word of God is this incredible gift to us to reveal to us God, the one we are to worship. 
we can find ourselves worshiping an experience, worshiping a moment. We can find ourselves worshiping a miracle. When all of those things are given by God to show us who God is, to show us how much God loves us, to lead us towards who is to be the actual object of our worship. It's not really a part of the sermon, but we can do the same thing with tradition. We start to worship our religious tradition and we miss the point that tradition is okay as long as it leads us to worship our Father in heaven. So I grew up in a, both of these extremes. My folks were part of a very fundamental Bible church. Very fundamental. It was all about the word. Matter of fact, I remember as a young kid, it was not safe to have emotion. You were actually told emotions are bad. You can't trust your feelings. Just do the thing you're supposed to do. It was very legalistic. It was very Bible-centered. You're going to hear as I move on, I'm not against the Bible in any way. But it was rigid and it was dead. And then my mom and dad had this experience. The whole story is for another day, but they experienced the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues and they began to see healing. And there was no place for them in the fundamental church. So they gravitated towards what I would call an extremely charismatic church where things were completely out of balance and the word of God wasn't taught and it was all about the feeling and the emotion and the experience and my parents went crazy. Now here's what I want you to hear. I love my parents. They gave me Jesus and they were just doing what they were being taught. But man, things got weird in my house. When the TV got fuzzy, we had to pray that the demon would get out of the TV. You think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. My friends would come over to the house who didn't even know who Jesus was, and they would sneeze, and my mom would say, go get the oil. We're going to lay hands on you and pray. (laughs) I'm serious. All funny until you have to live in that environment, right? It was horrible. There was a demon behind every bush. If you couldn't do the tricks, you really didn't know Jesus. Both of those were extremes. There is a better way. There is a way to be focused on the word of God. I love the scriptures. I love teaching them. I love studying them. I love preaching the word of God. I love the word of God. And I love it when the Holy Spirit surprises me and he shows up and he touches somebody's lives and they are healed in that moment or when demons are cast out of them, when people carry a burden for so long and Jesus shows up. But I can tell you, there is a way to be both and we don't have to be weird and we don't have to be out of balance. We can have a fully engaged movement of the spirit in this church and we can be word centers. We can and we will be a word and spirit church. Everything we read about today still happens. Everything we read about today is still a part of this world. We have the ability to live in victory over darkness. Jesus is still alive. Did you know that? Jesus is still alive. And his mission is still at work. What's his mission? To proclaim the good news, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim that the kingdom of God is accessible. The kingdom of God is at hand. Look, when we go to India, 
We work with those partners and they pull those girls out of trafficking. They physically set them free, right? They release them from oppression, but it's not done there. They begin to pray over these girls and they see demonic activity and they have to cast out demons. And then these girls' bodies are broken from years of abuse and they pray for healing. And they see healing and these girls are liberated. They're set free and they find Jesus in the process. Their lives are forever changed. It's a continuation of the very mission of Jesus. The ministry of grace is not complete unless we continue the mission of Jesus. What is our mission statement here at Grace? Come on, give it to me the good time the first time. We are awesome. To live like Jesus is to take up the mission of Jesus, to proclaim the good news, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to set free the the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's the hardest part of this whole sermon and probably why I wrestled. What about when he doesn't heal? What about when it doesn't happen? Here's the reality. There's a mystery to God. I was talking to Meg about this and she said, well, if you could explain God, I'm not sure I'd want to follow him because that would make him pretty small, wouldn't it? God is bigger than our ability to understand. And and I cannot tell you why it sometimes doesn't happen. But here's what I can tell you. The word of God says that we are to pray in faith, that we are to lay on of hands and we are to pray that God would heal. And so we are gonna pray and we're gonna pray expectantly and we are gonna see people healed. And when it doesn't happen, we are gonna say God is good, that God can be trusted, that God is, deserves our worship even when it doesn't happen. Look, God is not our cosmic genie. We don't get to throw a lever and it's just gonna automatically happen. But we are going to pray in faith. We are going to see God move in a powerful way. We are gonna hold tight to the word of God and we are gonna embrace all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Tongues, healing, prophecy. You see, it's in there. So if we're going to be a word and spirit church, then we have to say, well, what's in the word? And we're going to allow that to happen within our context, within our church. And we're going to do it in a way that advances the kingdom of God, that shows our neighbors that the kingdom of God is accessible. The kingdom of God is right in front of you. It's within your reach. Isn't that good news? So as we continue this journey in Luke, I just want you to pray for me, pray for us as we teach that we would learn to embrace the reality that the kingdom of God is at hand and our mission is to bring freedom and release and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's pray. Lord, I just am so grateful for your word. I love teaching the scriptures. I love that this week, Luke 4, 31 through the end of the chapter forces me to talk about something that I'm not sure I would have talked about if it weren't in there. So thank you. Thank you that you modeled something through your scripture that makes us have to ask the question, what does it mean for us today? But right now as I stand here, I am so grateful that the kingdom of God 
is accessible, that you have given us your Holy Spirit, that he indwells us and allows us to move in power. This isn't about us. This is about you and about the Spirit of God in us doing the work. Lord, help us to be a word and spirit church. Lord, help us to test everything and hang on to the good. Lord, I pray for the people in this room that just need prayer. I pray that they would come down, they would allow us to lay hands on them, to pray for them, that we would see you do more than we could ask, think, or imagine. I pray that you would continue to show us how to bring the kingdom into this place and take it out to people, not just in our neighborhoods, but around the world. Thanks for who you are. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as you leave today, they're going to give you a bag. You can fill that with groceries, bring it back next week. That's how we fill the pantry. There are prayer warriors down here that would love to lay a hand on you and pray for you. God bless you. I'm not